As human beings, we tend to default to being not super self-aware. We fall into tendencies and comfort zones accidentally. It's easy to not realize some of what we repeat in our songs over and over again. And even if we are self-aware, we might not have even thought of some change-ups we actually could do, some new routes we could explore. And this is where a song tendencies audit comes in. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Glad you're here. Honored that you chose this podcast and super thrilled that you care enough about songwriting as a craft to listen to any songwriting podcast. That certainly shows a certain level of dedication. A lot of people don't listen to any podcasts and don't do any learning uh, of their own free will. So the fact that you're willing to spend some time every week or perhaps just today, uh, learning about songwriting puts you well ahead of the curve for what most people are willing to do. And songwriting is important to me, so obviously it it brings me great joy that you care about the craft as well. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide, songwritingtheory.com slash free guide. gives you 10 different ways to start writing a song. So if you're new to songwriting, something good to grab to give you 10 different ideas of how to start a song. But also if you're a seasoned songwriter, If you've listened to the podcast before, you know this, but I'm a big fan of starting songs from different standpoints. It's a great way to stay creatively fresh. Uh, Usually when I start to feel like I've run out of creative juice, it's because I've written too many songs in a row that are all just me sitting at a piano, coming up with a piano riff, and then writing the melody off of that, and then figuring out the lyrics. That is my bread and butter. That's my favorite way to write songs. That's my default way to write songs. But sometimes it starts to get stale if I just do that over and over again. So changing it up and starting songs from different standpoints, whether it's reverse engineering a song from a song title or simply starting with a bass line instead, so many subtle things can go a long way in really rejuvenating our sense of creativity. So be sure to check that out, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. We're talking about a song tendencies audit in this episode, which is probably an overly fancy name that I gave to really the idea is we're performing an audit on the songs we've written because it's very easy to not be aware of some of our tropes and tendencies. It's very easy to be aware or not be aware of the different things that we've actually never done before. We might realize, hey, I've literally never written a song about uh, maybe instead of a breakup song, right, Uh, being in love song. And it, it, it would be really easy to not even realize we haven't done that or to not even realize we haven't had a song that contemplates you know, how how little time we have on this earth, how short life is. And it may may seem like something where you would think, oh yeah, of course I'd want to write a song about that. And yet you just never have done it. We don't default to being self-aware about exactly what our tendencies are. We probably notice the most overt tendencies that we have. So for example, if you're mostly a guitarist and only sort of a pianist, you're probably well aware of the fact that like 99% of your songs you wrote with the guitar. Um, but for the less obvious things, it is very, very easy to just sort of songwrite and never really second guess what we have and haven't talked about. 
And overall, the goal of this song, Tendencies Audit, is not to say that there's necessarily something wrong with having some very strong tendencies or or tendencies that border on overuse. That's up to you, right? Let's say, for example, thematically. You realize that you've written 30 songs and every single one of them is essentially a breakup song. If you think there's nothing wrong with that, and if you're comfortable with that, then it's fine, right? You don't have to change anything. So this episode, we're not going to talk about what you should care about for changing it up or what you shouldn't. That's up to you. Uh, I, I personally like to have some level of variety. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the sort of two-prong approach of I want stuff that's bread and butter so that you would think, oh, this is what a Joseph Vidala song sounds like. Not that they're all the same, but they all have some similar elements enough that theoretically, if you liked the first EP I release, you also would probably like the fourth EP I release because let's say half or so of the songs sound very Joseph Vidala. Uh, and then, you know, maybe some of the other songs are where you can experiment, try, try different things. But again, that's up to you. If you're the type of person that you want every single one of your songs to feel like it is exactly a you song, or if you want to be totally exploratory and one EP is completely different from the next, all of that's up to you. That's not what we're talking about. But the starting place to figuring out whether you think your tendencies are a problem or, or you know, when you figure out, hey, I've never written a song that's actually about falling in love instead of falling out of love. Uh, you know, maybe you think, oh, that is something I'd be interested in doing. I just didn't realize I haven't done it yet. That seems like a missed opportunity that I should take advantage of. All of that is up to you. We're not going to talk about that element of it. I just want to clarify up front that there might be times in this episode that it sounds like I'm saying it's bad or good to have, you know, certain themes that we use over and over again or certain symbols we use over and over again. I'm not saying that. That's up to you to decide. Okay, cool. Clarification done. There's two reasons to do an audit overall, or two main reasons. One is simply to become aware of our tendencies so we can dial them back when appropriate and to avoid overuse. Because you may not realize you've never written a song that isn't centering on love gone wrong until you do an audit and realize every single song that you've written is about love going wrong. And the second reason is to discover some different paths for us to explore in our songwriting, some new songwriting opportunities. Because a great way to get unstuck is to find different lyrical and musical directions you actually haven't gone, or maybe you haven't gone to much. Because if you're thinking to yourself, man, I feel like I'm running out of sort of creative ideas, and then you realize, oh my goodness, I've, I've actually never, even though I'm, say, from New England, and I used to live by the beach, I've actually never utilized ocean imagery before. That seems like a missed opportunity. I love ocean imagery. So now that I realize that, let me go write a song that leverages ocean imagery. So those are the two main benefits. Realize what we may overuse and decide whether we should dial it back and also discover the different opportunities that maybe we haven't taken advantage of because maybe we didn't even realize they were there. So the bulk of this podcast is now going to be talking about some different things to audit, some different specific things we're looking for, because 
there are so many different pieces of data or metadata about songs that we may have never even thought to change up. There are obvious things like themes or maybe, you know, stories and then, you know, keys. We're all probably pretty aware of that as well. But there's so many other little details we may not have thought to change up. And that's really what this next part is centering around. So first, let's talk about lyrics. So when we're performing this audit, which theoretically we could literally list all of our songs and actually write down, okay, here's the theme, here's the symbol, etc. What are some of the things we're looking for in our lyrics? First thing is theme. We've already touched on this, but you know, maybe we talk about love a lot or we talk about death a lot or loneliness, depression, friendship, hope, power, loneliness, free will versus fate. These are some of the, the more basic themes that are out there. So what themes have we tended to work in? Probably for most of us, if there is a theme that gets beaten to death as songwriters, as a tendency, it's love. There are tons of songwriters where it seems like every single song they've ever done is love. Again, not necessarily anything wrong with that. If you're comfortable with that and that's true for you, go for it. That's fine. But it might also be the case where you're like, huh, I actually never thought to write a song about free will versus fate or about friendship or about loneliness or death. Uh, too busy sort of writing about the latest love story in my life gone right or wrong. Other things to look for is symbols or imagery, whether we're utilizing something like light and dark a lot or ocean imagery, space imagery, field imagery, maybe sci-fi imagery. If you're if you're a star set, which I think this is on purpose because star set is sort of like a sci-fi rock band. I, I would, they call themselves like cinematic rock or something, but um, they're very, they're very sci-fi and all of their, all of their songs are, are basically a sci-fi story. And, you know, if you're, if you're them, then maybe, you know, that you utilize space and science sort of imagery all the time. And you're fine with that. That's meant to be a part of your brand. But it also may be the case that, you know, you don't realize that you just use light and dark all the time. And you may, maybe you're like me, right? You lived in New England or something. So the ocean is something that resonates with you. And you actually haven't utilized it very much. In my case, if anything, I probably lean towards slightly overusing ocean imagery. Uh, I'm also pretty fond of space imagery, but haven't really beaten that to death yet. Um but what are the different symbols that you tend to re-gravitate to? Do you utilize animals a lot? Maybe specifically like predatory animals? Are there specific settings that you utilize very often? Oftentimes it's going to be influenced by where we're from. So for me, ocean is one of my favorites, but I'm from New England. So it, it's, it's kind of like that just is what resonates with me. I live in Ohio now, but frankly, cornfields I don't find symbolically resonant. I just, I, I just don't. Uh, but ocean has has a lot to offer, I think. Uh, so I gravitate towards that more. Another thing is time. Um, so to pick on punk for a moment, the tendency of punk music is to always tell stories that seem to be around the teenage years, right? They're talking about prom and and it, they're talking about a certain type of rebellion that feels very teenagery. And another way to look at this is maybe our lyrics are always told from 
our current point of view. And for that matter, from our point of view. And we've talked about this in other episodes, but a very powerful thing we can do is to just get past only being able to write songs that's from our point of view right now. Because a problem that's going to come up is, let's say you're like 20 years old. And right now you have lots of stuff going wrong in your life. You're meeting a whole bunch of new people all the time. You're doing a lot of different things. Maybe you're in college and you're meeting a whole bunch of new people and you're dating a bunch of people and you constantly have love stories and breakup stories and all that. But someday when you're you know, 30 and you're just married and there's not really much drama in your life and you don't meet new people that often anymore because you just have the friends that you have and you have the coworkers that you have and really things aren't changing that often anymore. It's going to be difficult to write songs and we don't want to be limited by our current place in life. And no other artist is. When we think of painters or, or, or uh, script writers for movies or novelists, or actors, none of those people, or at least good ones, are limited by, oh, what, what am I going through right now, right? When somebody wrote Gladiator, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just put, you know, I'm just telling my own story. Like, no, it's Gladiator. It's, it's, it's thousands of years ago. And so why, why is it as songwriters that we should be so limited? Actors and actresses will act as characters that they can't relate to at all, right? Some of the nicest people as you know, some of the nicest actors might act as a really detestable villain. So as songwriters, we should be able to do the same thing. So not only can we look at the specific time periods that our lyrics tend to take place in, but also the different points of view. And points of view in two different senses too. One is, are we writing a song just from our point of view? Are we writing about other people we've met? Are we writing about some fictional person that we made up? Are we able to go back into our past and actually write a song that is still emotionally resonant, that comes from a story from our past maybe 10 years ago? Are we able to project ourselves into the future and ask ourselves, okay, if this happened to me 10 years from now, how would I feel about it then? All of that helps remove some limits as songwriters, but also in the truest sense of point of view, you know, direct address versus first person versus third person. Theoretically, we could throw second person in there, but that's exceptionally rare for songwriting, I think, for good reason. We don't have time to break all those down in detail here. I believe I have both videos and podcasts that break down songwriting with each of these points of view. So if you're interested in that, be sure to check that out. But Let's just pick on direct address versus third person here, just for frame of reference. Most songs default to direct address, right? That's I and you. It's, it's me talking to you. So if you have a love song, that's you utilizing the word I and saying something like, I loved you, right? That, that's direct address. But third person is a different way that we can tell a song where we are acting as an omniscient narrator, talking about what he or she is doing and what they are doing. We are not in the story ourselves. We are acting as that omniscient narrator that is simply watching the story that's taking place and reflecting on it. And things we can play with with this is, you know, having an omniscient narrator usually implies less bias. 
uh, direct address usually implies that it's not necessarily a reliable narrator because just because I say that 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 you left me and you suck doesn't mean that's necessarily true. I'm. It's obvious that I'm maybe not a reliable narrator because I'm hurt and I may, uh, of course, I'm I'm biased <laughs> towards you know, uh, well myself because <laughs> I I didn't want you to break up with me, but. Uh, with with third person, usually the implication of an omniscient narrator is sort of that it's unbiased and it's just giving the facts. That's not necessarily the case, though. We can play with all those sort of things. But maybe you're thinking, oh, wow, I've actually never written a song where I'm just talking about he or she and and talking about people as if I, as the narrator, as the writer of the song, am not actually involved in the story that I'm telling. So that could be a opportunity. Then what about the musical side of things? We have keys. This is probably the most obvious. Maybe if you're a guitarist, almost all your songs are in G major and C major and D major. And once in a while you throw in like A major or something. Maybe, maybe it's time to try something a little different. What are some other keys we can utilize? And, and even just major or minor. It's very easy to just continue writing everything in a major key and not even think to utilize minor. That's not even to say to say anything of the fact that we could also use modes. Modes are another thing we had whole podcasts on, so probably from a couple months ago, so probably 20, 30 podcasts back. If you're interested, we broke down modes. Also have videos on that as well. But we can write a whole song in a mode. Most often, modes are utilized for short sections rather than a whole song. Um, but that's another option, right? And it's very easy to just keep writing songs in major, or maybe if you write in a certain genre, just keep writing all your songs in minor and not really think anything of it. Beats per minute or tempo is another thing. We might gravitate towards all our songs being around 120 beats per minute, or all our songs are under 100 beats per minute. Regardless of what the tendency is, take a look, right? You might be surprised. You might think, oh, no, I, I probably have variety there. And then realize that all of your songs are anywhere from 112 beats per minute to 128, which is a pretty small range. Again, as I said at the beginning, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's worth knowing because maybe that can illuminate an opportunity where you're like, huh, let me just try writing a song. Let me set a click track or make a drum beat that's at 92 beats per minute and try to write a song off of that because I've just never written a song at that piece per minute and that will give my song just a little bit more different of a sound and a vibe simply by being at a different tempo than most of my songs are. Time signature. 4-4 four, four is the default for most people. So it's very possible that some of us have never actually written a song in 3-4 and 3-4 is a super common time signature. I think it's something like 90% of songs at this point are in 4-4, four, four, but most of the rest of the 10% is in 3-4. And yes, I'm going to include 6-8 in 3-4 because it's effectively the same thing. Uh, when writing sheet music, it's not, but effectively when it comes to counting, it's, it's, it's basically the same. So it's very common, I think, to just fall into the trap of just all 4-4. Four, four. Nothing wrong with it, but hey. You might not even realize you haven't written anything in 3-4 or try something even a little more different like 5-4, which can be a very, very interesting time signature. What about style? Are all our songs epic 
mega ballads or most of our songs are toe-tapping, catchy songs or a lot of really dark rock-sounding songs that are all very uh, sad and, and very minor, maybe even Phrygian, or maybe we have a lot of funk-inspired beats. What are some styles we gravitate to? And when I say style, I mean even within the genre. I'm not saying, hey, let's say you write country music. You're a country artist. I'm not saying, oh, hey, you need to write funk music and rock music. No, no, no. Of course it makes sense that all of your songs would be, at the end of the day, country. But there's many styles within a genre, right? You can be sort of a folky singer-songwriter style and still have like bigger ballads and then more catchy songs, songs that with different beats per minute, some that, that feel like they go at a brisk pace and other ones that feel very restrained and slow and methodical and take their time. There's a lot of stylistic differences that we can have even within a singular genre. What about arrangement? What are we what are our tendencies for primary instrument? So are all our songs piano based or guitar based? Or maybe if we're a bass guitarist, we always lead off with with a great bass part. And the, the sort of main highlight instrument of the song actually is bass. What are some different things we utilize for primary instruments? Now, it may be the case that you only play one instrument, in which case it probably makes sense that all of your songs would have that instrument as the primary instrument. But if you play multiple instruments, this may be something worth looking at. For me, I like to keep my songwriting to be something like 70% piano primary driven, 20% guitar, or maybe 60, 20, and then the last 10% for sort of other, where, you know, sometimes I'm leading off with a bass line and really everything else is sort of built around the bass. Uh, there's a few songs I've written now that are built around the organ instead, because I think organs are are super underutilized. Uh, they, they sort of have the epicness of electric guitar with the old sort of traditional sound that you get from something like a piano. Um, But regardless, what are different primary instruments that we utilize? And then within that, what are some different primary instrument stylings that we have? Let's say you're a guitarist, because statistically you're you're probably a guitarist. Probably 90% of the people listening to this podcast are first and foremost guitarists, as far as their songwriting instruments go, at least. And just simply changing from strummed chords to finger picking can make a huge difference, a huge difference. So if you realize, hey, I've released two EPs, 10 total songs in the last three years, and every single one of them has strummed guitar chords at the basis, simply saying, you know what, I'm going to write a song that utilizes finger picking or picking with a pick. Or simply saying, you know what? I haven't ever utilized just just adding something like hammer-ons to my strummed chords. That can go a long way. Or for the piano side of things, you know, block chords versus having a real piano hook or riff. How about song structure? What are the song sections that we utilize? And then what's the overall song journey we take people on? Because even though they have the same song sections, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, is notably different from verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus. It's subtle, 
It's not a, a massive difference, but it's just enough to have some variety in our songs that intentionally switching between, hey, you know what? I realize I, I've never actually done a third verse that follows a bridge where I actually go from bridge to verse to chorus. I always go from bridge straight back to chorus. That could be something to explore. Overall, the feel of them are, is, is just different. It's just different because usually when you go from a bridge to a third verse to a chorus, usually that third verse is like the smallest verse of the song. So sometimes the bridge sort of dissipates at the end. So, you know, it's an epic chorus and then an epic bridge and then a really small third verse. Or sometimes it starts like a really small third verse and it builds, builds, builds until it gets to the epic final chorus. Um, but but usually it has a very different feel because when you have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, very often by the time you get to that last chorus, bridge, chorus part, it's just all high energy that whole time, right? Because the chorus is massive, then the bridge is usually a, a fairly big high energy song section, and then the chorus is too. So there's no break, there's no small section to sort of break it up. Um, so just adding a third verse after the bridge can go a long way. And then we can, you know, look at how often are we utilizing pre-choruses and post-choruses. For me, I realized that I very rarely utilized pre-choruses when I started talking about pre-choruses more, probably a year ago where I started making some videos on pre-choruses. I realized I, I didn't utilize pre-choruses that often. Of course, I had written pre-choruses before, um, but especially when comparing to, say, today's pop music, which I'm not saying we should compare to today's pop music because who cares? Um, but but I, I realized that, man, pre-choruses have become almost as ubiquitous with songs as choruses are. Uh, that's not quite true, but so many songs have pre-choruses now. And comparatively, probably, I don't know, 10% of the songs I wrote had pre-choruses, something like that at the time. So I thought, you know what? I should, I should write more songs with pre-choruses. Take advantage of some of, the, of, this, of some of the things that you can get from a pre-chorus that you can't get from a verse or a chorus, or just a structure that goes straight from a verse to a chorus. Now, for me, I probably will always, relatively speaking, underutilize pre-choruses, because stylistically, I really like going from a small verse to a massive chorus, and you get that sort of punch in the face of sound of like, it went from a pretty small verse straight into a massive chorus. I really like that feel. Uh, it really helps the chorus pop as even more epic. Uh, so because I like that, I probably will always be a person that sort of underutilizes a pre-chorus. But again, think about for yourself, it, it may be the case that you also underutilize pre-choruses and you also have a good reason to. But it may be the case that you utilize pre-choruses all the time and you realize, you know what, I, I actually, I just do it because I thought I should, not because of any real reason. So maybe it's worth trying some songs where you actually skip the post, the pre-chorus and go straight into the chorus. And then same is true for post-choruses. Um, post-choruses have become more and more popular, especially in the pop music world. It still is relatively uncommon, it seems, outside of pop. But nobody said that has to be the case. Uh, why, why can't we, as you know, more rock artists or singer-songwriters, make more use of a post-chorus? And then e even within the decision 
or even outside of the decision of whether we have a post-chorus or not, when do we first actually go to the post-chorus? Very often, after the first chorus, there won't be a post-chorus, but there will be a post-chorus from that second chorus on. But that's, again, another decision. Maybe we want to have a post-chorus after every chorus. Maybe we want to have a post-chorus just after the final chorus. These are all different decisions that can make a huge difference on the feel of our songs. So certainly, if we find ourselves that we just always do verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, we are missing out on so many different arrangement, song journey opportunities because, A, there's just more song sections than that. There's pre-choruses and post-choruses, and then we can have second bridges and finales and all sorts of things. Uh, but also, even within utilizing the same song sections, depending on you know how many verses we have, where the verses are placed, um, you know wh- whether we have a post-chorus and then you know when the post-chorus actually happens. If we have a pre-chorus, do we go from the bridge straight into the chorus, or do we actually go from the bridge to the pre-chorus to the chorus, or do we go from the bridge to a verse to a pre-chorus to the chorus? All of those have different feels. And really, we basically have the same song sections with all those. Just it's a different way to construct a song that will help give each song a different feel. And then overall arranging structure. Do we always utilize the same arrangements? Same arrangements. Goodness. Do we always use the same instruments in our arrangement? And then do we always utilize them in the same way in our arrangement? So do we always utilize strings to build our second verse? Or we always gravitate to utilizing string sounds over brass or woodwinds, which are other options to sort of add an orchestral vibe to our song? Do we always utilize, and I'm looking at myself here, do we always utilize electric guitars to build the chorus? You know, for me, the, one of the main ways that I make the chorus massive is, is just like a, a wall of guitars to the point that I have it sort of to a science of like, I know that I'm going to have two guitars that are doing power chords, one panned left, one panned right. Then I'm going to have another one that actually utilizes just the lowest note of the power chord. That's two more guitars, again, left and right. And that usually I do with my my, um, baritone electric guitar. And then often I will do slightly higher power chords with my more or less standard tuned guitar, again, panned left and right. I have a Nashville tuned guitar that's just to add some some higher register stuff. And And then that also utilize power chords, but it's going to be higher because it's in the Nashville tuning. Sometimes maybe I will use open chords instead. And then usually I have what I call filler guitars, which are not quite, they're not solos, and but they're, they're more uh, melodic in nature, but they're not taking away from the vocal melody. The vocal melody is still the star of the show, but these add another melodic element for people to attach to. Usually have two of those. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. So if you do a similar thing, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's good to be aware of it and to at least consider that maybe there's another way to change it up or have, you know, one song out of the five on the EP where we actually don't do what we normally do. Um, so another thing to look at would be how we leverage different instruments, which is sort of the same as what I just said, but is maybe a little different 
let's take organ, for example. Maybe you utilize organ in all your songs, but it's always sort of this background add to the mix, fill in the mix type instrument. Um, and you've never really even thought about like, wait a second, instead of having my song led by piano or guitar, why don't I actually utilize the organ as the main instrument? Why don't I choose to utilize, the, I always end up programming a string quartet into my song. Why don't I actually have that be the only part that I have for the first verse? The piano doesn't come in until later. Or, you know, maybe maybe I always utilize synths as sort of a, a second-class citizen uh, where it's, again, just used to fill in the mix. But hey, why, why don't I try changing it up and instead of utilizing guitars as the main way I build my chorus up. Why don't I utilize synths instead? Anyway, we could talk for hours just about all the different choices we could make, even with just like picking three instruments. We could talk forever about all the different ways we could arrange electric guitars in our song. Don't want to dive too deep into that. Maybe you think I already dove too deep into that, but hopefully you get the idea about taking a look at how you leverage each of your instruments in the arrangements of your song and thinking about how you can change that up as well. So overall, do an audit so that you can be aware of your tendencies and your opportunities, the different things that maybe it never even occurred to you to write a song in third-person point of view. Maybe it never even occurred to you that hey, you've never written a song in 3-4. You should do that. 3-4 time is great. And it's it has a different feel than 4-4 four, four time. Or maybe you never even thought to check what, what, what tempo your songs are at, especially if you never recorded your music, which this is another reason to record music, I think, uh, because then you have to become aware of the, the tempo because you're usually playing to a click track and all that. Uh, so you have to figure out the beats per minute or the tempo of your song. But if you haven't recorded your music, it would be really easy. In fact, if I didn't record my music, I don't think I would be aware at all of the tempo that I wrote songs at. I would have no idea because I wouldn't I would never like turn on a click track to write a song. I just wouldn't do it. I just write a song, you know, the piano part, the guitar part, just based on feel. And then once I come up with the melody, maybe I slow it down or speed it up, depending on what the melody needs, what I need vocally. Um, but I, I would never think to check the tempo. Uh, song structure. Maybe you've never thought to utilize what a thing we talked about last week. I'm a big fan of a finale. Maybe you've never thought to actually utilize that in a song. Maybe you've never actually utilized a post-chorus in a song before. Or maybe you, like me, for a while didn't, uh, it just wasn't very common for you to have a verse after the bridge. Or maybe you didn't utilize a pre-chorus very much. These are all things to look at. And Honestly, depending on how many songs you have, it may be worth your time that when I say audit, at the very least, what we all should do is, is have a high level audit where we at least go through a decent amount of our songs and write down some tendencies looking for all these things. But honestly, if you if you have like 10 songs, it might be worth literally point by point going through and figuring out exactly how many songs you have with you know, the theme of love, exactly how many of your 10 songs dealt with, you know, utilized direct address point of view versus third person. This is something that I like to do every once in a while just to make sure that I'm not missing any opportunities for, for time signatures or different instrument stylings. And honestly, a lot of the songs that I end up being most proud of are a direct result of this. 
There was a time where I realized I hadn't written a song in 3-4. So I explicitly decided I'm going to write a song in 3-4. And I love that song. Wouldn't have happened if I didn't go out of my way to figure out what I had and hadn't utilized in my writing before. Same thing with finger picking. I realized, hey, I haven't done any song with finger picking. So I ex- explicitly decided, all right, I'm going to write a song utilizing finger picking. Some of the best results I've gotten are, are from doing this. Hopefully it will help you in the same way. Be sure to go out, start writing some songs with what you learned after you complete your audit. So go out, do your audit, and then based on what you learned, figure out, hey, what are some missing opportunities that I had? And then go write those things. Go write a song in three, four time. Go write a song utilizing third person instead of direct address. And then if you haven't already, grab my free guide, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. It will help you with actually starting to write your song that may be in three, four time or maybe utilizing ocean imagery that you haven't utilized before, but maybe you like me think ocean imagery is just fantastic and you really like it. So you're like, huh, I haven't actually used it yet though. So I should go do that. And then go write some songs. Hopefully this was helpful to you. I appreciate you all for listening. I appreciate all of you who have been kind enough to leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoy the podcast, you've ever gotten anything from this podcast, great way you can help me out. Number one way, really, I think I've said number one way you can help me out is leaving a review. Uh, And maybe that's true, but another great way is simply telling a friend. If you have a songwriter friend or somebody who's interested in songwriting and you think this podcast would be helpful to them or would inspire them to actually start songwriting if maybe before they've just been a dabbler or they've just entertained the idea of songwriting, but you think them listening to a podcast on songwriting would actually get them to be like, you know what? Screw it. I am going to actually write a song. Uh, That's another way you can help out. The other way, leaving kind reviews. And I appreciate all of you who have done that already. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you in the next one.